Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Before any major event, there's always preparations that need to be made. In the sermon text that we just heard read from Mark chapter 1, we see, as mentioned, a quotation from our first reading from Isaiah chapter 40, in which God's prophet calls on God's people to prepare the way for the Lord by making his paths straight, by leveling out rough places and, and smoothing over any rugged ground, even uh, to, the, to the extent of taking down hills and mountains and using them to fill in valleys so there's a perfectly level and straight path for the coming Savior. And of course, that is uh, speaking metaphorically, and we'll get into the details of, of what that comparison means for our lives today. But as we think about smoothing out a, a rough road, uh, those of us who live in and around Chicago can think back to this past summer of when the NASCAR races were held downtown and uh, some preparations were made for those races, uh, filling in some potholes and even redoing whole sections of some of those streets that the, the race course would go on, uh, brand new asphalt or pavement so that uh, the cars that would be speeding along that race course uh, would not have such a, a bumpy road to contend with. Although if you watched a little bit of that, it, it was still quite bumpy. Uh, but the people of Judea, at the time of John the Baptist, they had been collectively waiting for thousands of years by this point in time, ever since God had made the first promise to send the Savior for the whole world, first to Adam and Eve, right after they committed the first sin. And over the, the millennia, the centuries that had led up to that point, God's prophets had, had clued the people in to be watching for someone who would come before the Savior who was promised, who would prepare the way for that Savior, for the Messiah, prepare the hearts of the people for the Savior's arrival. But as we see the description of John the baptizer, uh, we can imagine that at least from his appearance and, and from where he was uh, ministering and preaching, he was probably not the kind of forerunner that most of the people uh, of Judea at that time had been anticipating. He was a man whose, uh, whose appearance was uh, very uh, strange and, and rugged, who was living out there in the wilderness all by himself, uh, clothed in camel's hair and, and eating bugs and, and wild honey. And he was announcing himself as the herald of the Lord. Quoting, re referring to the prophecy of Isaiah in, in reference to himself, a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. God had given John that task of smoothing out the road for the coming Savior by making sure that the heart's of the people were ready to receive him so that they would recognize the Lord when he came and in humility they would be prepared to believe in him as their Savior. As this season of Advent progresses and we start preparing for all the celebrations of Christmas both here at church and in our homes and, and perhaps at office parties and, and other events, it's good for us to look again at the message of the forerunner of the Savior, of John the Baptizer like that stark and, and barren wilderness where John was preaching this message, the hearts of people 
all people by the nature that we have inherited from our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. The, our hearts are lifeless, spiritually dead, until Jesus enters them through his word. But how do we prepare for that divine entrance of the Savior into our hearts? Well, the answer of our text is expressed in one powerful word, repentance. And so we see in in Matthew's gospel, the summary of all of John's preaching was repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. And here in our reading from Mark chapter 1, we see that John came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that description of John's message is very significant. John is saying that something must happen to open the ear and the heart of the person to listen and to receive Jesus as Savior. Mark tells us that as John preached, the people of Judea and Jerusalem, of of all that surrounding area who would come out to hear John and his message, they were confessing their sins. And at the invitation of John, they came to wash away their sins in baptism, to get rid of those sins by God's mercy and grace And also by his grace then to go and lead a new life, turning away from their sin. And that is what the the baptism in the Jordan River that John conducted accomplished. The Holy Spirit worked through that baptism to forgive and, and grant new spiritual life and strength for that new walk of faith that the people were were committing themselves to. They believed that word of God that John was proclaiming. And so we see that repentance is preparation. If when we share God's word with other people, we proclaim only repentance, though, we actually are falling short of the goal of God that he wants us to accomplish through our proclamation of his word. If there is to be forgiveness, there must also be sincere repentance. A heart that delights in sin and considers the world and the things of this world contrary to God's will to be more precious than God and his righteousness, well, that attitude is totally incompatible with God and and a relationship with God. There are great promises of forgiveness in God's word, but those promises are spoken only to the penitent, those who repent of their sins from the heart. And so we also today still need this preaching of John the baptizer. If we want to genuinely prepare for Jesus' coming, for his second coming, for his coming at Christmas, as we remember that uh, wonderful gift of God to us, if we want to be forgiven and to find peace with God, then we must first repent of our sins according to the commandments that he lays out for us in his word. And so preparation for, uh, through repentance involves, first of all, a conviction of our sin, of our sinfulness. And perhaps we need to phrase that in a little bit of a different way. It's the realization that comes from a confrontation with God's law that shows us that we have sinned, that we have broken God's law. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 3, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have not met that standard of perfect obedience of all of his commands, not only in action, but also in word 
and in thought and, and desire and the attitudes of our hearts. It's a realization that can really only come in its, in its full extent through God's Holy Spirit as he works in our hearts through his word to convince us, to convict us that we have sinned and, and that our sin, any sin, no matter how small that sin might be in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of society, that, that any sin is not just some kind of psychological aberration, but that it's really evidence of a deep-rooted opposition to God and his will that comes from the sinful nature that all of us have inherited from our parents. And now if you've never felt this deep conviction of sin in your heart, it's very likely that you've never actually truly repented, no matter how confidently you may talk about the sin of other people. Repentance begins with a personal conviction of sin, a, a humble confession that we have broken God's commands. We have sinned against his will. We deserve punishment from God because of our sins. And that convicting, that, that deep heart convicting, only comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, we see Jesus uh, tell his disciples about that work of the Holy Spirit. He says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. And then repentance also involves a change of heart. There can be no true repentance until we turn our hearts away from sin, until we stop loving sin and instead do our our best with all of our effort, with all the strength that God provides to put all sin out of our hearts and lives. The Greek word for repentance in the original language of the New Testament of the Bible suggest a a total change, a total turning around of the trajectory of our lives. From sin and and uh, self-centeredness and to God and his will and to him for forgiveness. And so we have the warning from Jesus in Luke chapter 13. He says, unless you repent, you will all perish. And so here we see the the keynote of the preaching of John the baptizer. When we repent, we are turning our backs on sin. We are totally turning away from it and turning instead to God and his will. We might call it a change of attitude, a reversal of direction. The Apostle Paul, you remember, was appointed by God to be the, the preacher of God's word to the Gentiles as Paul testified, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That is what repentance is, a a total transformation of heart from the clutches of the devil into the loving arms of God. It's responding to God's invitation to believe in him and in the forgiveness and salvation that he provides through Jesus. And what repentance is not is fear. Maybe you remember hearing about the false prophet Balaam in the Old Testament who was hired by uh, the Israelites' enemies to come and call down curses upon them. And even though Balaam tried to do that, he was not able to. God would only let him speak blessings about the people of Israel. 
And Balaam cried out, May I die the death of the righteous. May my final end be like his. But his utterance in those words was not really a prayer from a heart of faith, but that cry was motivated by fear, and he failed to find salvation, as many passages throughout the rest of the Bible attest. Fear of death, or fear of judgment, is not the same thing as true gospel-motivated repentance. And also, repentance is not just the fulfilling of religious duties. Think about the first king of Israel, King Saul. That uh, Initially, at least, he was uh, quite a, an observant uh, religious person. Um, he made offerings to God from the spoils of war after God gave the Israelites victory in battle. He participated in appropriate religious ceremonies. but as his continuing actions and words reveal, Saul did not truly repent of the pride deep within his heart, and ultimately God judged and, and punished him for that impenitence and that pride. And what we need to guard ourselves against at this time of year is falling into that same kind of thinking of that uh, just by going to an extra worship service or two during the Christmas season, that we feel that we're doing enough uh, so that we can be on good terms with God. And, and that doing of these religious activities that we have done is what will make us prepared for Jesus' return. But repentance is the only real preparation for Jesus and his coming. And again, repentance is not just remorse. Another example, Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, felt deep remorse in his heart. But what did that remorse lead him to do? Not to confess his sin and come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, but it led him to despair, and he went away and hanged himself, believing that he would not be forgiven by God. And then the book of Acts chapter 1 tells us that he went to his own place. Because of his unbelief and his sin, he went to hell, tragically. Yes, we can also be sorry for our sins. We can regret that we said or did those terrible things last week, that we hurt a friend or, or damaged the reputation of a neighbor. But if our sorrow is not the kind of sorrow that produces true repentance, if it is not the kind of sorrow that leads us by the grace of God to forsake those sinful deeds and words and thoughts, then we are nothing but spiritual frauds. Repentance, true repentance, is much more than all of those things. It's an actual turning from sin and a turning to God in faith. And that turning takes place first in our hearts, when our whole attitude and thinking toward all things sinful changes, whether, whether that's sinful things in ourselves or in the world around us and in other people. Our whole way of, of thinking undergoes a radical change. And so when there is true repentance, then there will not only be, there will be a change of, of both heart and of action. A businessman who has, has cheated his customers during the week will do just as Zacchaeus did. Uh, he will repay those of whom he has taken advantage. A slanderous person will try his best to speak well of others instead of speaking badly about them. A student who has cheated on, on an assignment will quit those dishonest ways. 
a repentant life does not include any defiant, deliberate, persistent sin. And a third point to notice about the preaching of John is its emphasis on the forgiveness of sins. Repentance prepares the way for the Savior to come into our hearts with all the fullness of his grace, speaking peace to the brokenhearted, meeting the confession, I have sinned, with the assurance, your sin is forgiven, and answering the plea, have mercy on me, with the good news, I have. I have shed my blood on the cross to pay for your sins. John the Baptist's ministry was to preach repentance. This was the way of the Lord. Just as the prophet Isaiah talks about the hills and mountains being leveled and the the valleys being filled in, that same thing would happen to the hearts of prideful people. The conviction of God's law breaks down our prideful resistance and brings us to repentance. It brings us low so that we can see the salvation of our God through Jesus. It would have been tragic to stop, stop with the ministry of John, as, as great as his ministry was, and not continue uh, to receive the fullness of salvation through the ministry of Jesus. It would also be tragic if, if we stopped with repentance and spoke no words about where the true source of comfort comes for our real, deep need of heart. And that is the full remission of sins, the full forgiveness of sins through Jesus. But thank God that when we repent, he forgives. The last word doesn't belong to the sinner, but it belongs to the Savior. So I challenge you, look through your Bibles. See if you can find words like this there. I waited for the Lord, but he refused to hear my cry. I begged him for his pardon, and he answered me, Forgiveness is not for you. Now, you won't find words like that anywhere in the Bible. Turn to the Gospels, the, the record of the life and, and teaching of Jesus. Think about if, if there was ever a time where a, a, a poor, miserable sinner came to Jesus, battered by the sins and sorrows of, of his life, crying out to Jesus, have mercy on me, heal me. And Jesus just shook his head and said, My friend, I'm sorry for you, very sorry, and I would love to help you, but I'm just powerless here to help with your situation. Remember any incidents like that in the Gospels in the Bible? Of course not. There's no such thing. It never happened. But what you do find there in the Bible is limitless grace gospel that could say to the man at Bethesda who had been incurable for 38 long years of his life, get up and walk. And that could say to a poor wretch of a criminal, teetering on on the very edge of eternal damnation as his impending death was coming very soon, friend, it's paradise today for you. The last word belongs to God. It's not the sentence of a tax collector's penitent prayer, have mercy on me, a sinner, what a miserable wretch I am. But instead, it's the promise of a gracious and merciful God who justifies sinners through faith 
in Jesus the Savior. Early church history records an episode at the end of the life of the great church father, St. Augustine. As his strength was ebbing away, he asked one of his friends to paint on the wall opposite the bed where he was laying so that he could see as he was laying in bed the words of Psalm 32, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And as he lay there dying, gazing at those words upon the wall, blessed is the man who is forgiven. He had comfort for that final transition as God called him out of this life. There will be, dear friends in Christ, nothing else that is worth clinging to in this life in the end than to those words. Those words of comfort and assurance of full forgiveness to the repentant sinner. Yes, our, our world today is really not so much different, spiritually speaking, than the world to which John the Baptizer came almost 2,000 years ago, preparing the way for the coming of the Savior. It's a world full of sin, of rebellion against our Creator God. We know the taste of emptiness, of disillusionment, of futility in our lives. To prepare for His rule in our hearts and lives, we must heed that same message of John the Baptist, the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And when we truly prepare, going back to our baptism where our Lord found us and and adopted us into his family, when we read the words of the Bible and ask for the Spirit's blessing on our meditations on his word, then we will, by faith, be sure of the forgiveness that he has freely lavished upon us through Jesus. That faith, knowing that all of our sins have been forgiven, will enable us to go forth in strength, filled with a joy and purpose that we never had before. Amen.